Hey, it's Dr. Angles. Welcome to Advocate. Please be advised that the subject matter that we will be discussing may be disturbing to some listeners. And a big shout out to my friend Corey Hendricks for allowing me to sample his song in Vicasio. You can now download his song from Apple Music, Spotify, and more. Go check him out, and thanks for tuning in. Okay. Hi, Advocate. It's Dr. Angles, and I have my guest, Dr. Jody Larman. She's returned. We're here to discuss Jeffrey Epstein and Ghislaine Maxwell. And I might butcher her name again, <laughs> but it's Ghislaine. Hi, Dr. Larman. Hello. Thanks for coming back. Thanks for inviting me. I think that this topic is one that a lot of people have interest in. And I think that it'd be interesting to hear from two psychologists who have worked in California's maximum security prisons, who have worked with people similar to Epstein and have done similar crimes as Epstein and just kind of weigh in. Yeah. Thankfully, at least I've had no clients that were sex traffickers. That's good. Dealing with a lot of um, sexual predators. Yeah. I had some pimping and pandering and which in a way to me is similar to sex trafficking. I take that back. I did have someone on my case whose crime was sex trafficking. Okay. Crime too. He was about in his between 18 and 20. He was a young guy. Oh no. Oh, that's, that's alarming. We're just going to try to conceptualize this dynamic duo, but we need to state that legally and ethically we've never met Jeffrey Epstein or Ghislaine and so we can't diagnose them. We're not here to diagnose them. We're not giving clinical judgments, but we are going to conceptualize how the two of them came together and were successful, unfortunately, in running a sexual trafficking pyramid scheme for decades. Should we start with Epstein? Sure. Let's go back a minute. When you were on the podcast last, we talked about how sexual predators are very opportunistic. They're going to seek places or jobs where they have access to their victims. And so Epstein had never graduated college with a degree, but he was hired to teach mathematics for teenagers at the Dalton School. What do you think of that? I would not be surprised if there's somebody from the Dalton school that knows more than they're saying that he has approached. I mean, it's teenagers. He didn't just suddenly after a few years decide I'm going to be a sexual predator. There's gotta be some history that hasn't been discovered yet that might have, if there was a trial with him, but he didn't just immerse himself in teens and young adults and control his sexual urges until suddenly they right. came out a few years later, they blossomed. I wouldn't be surprised if there was someone who was maybe of age, maybe a, a teaching assistant or a co-ed or something that he kind of started to groom, maybe not underage yet. I agree with you because once he got into the Dalton school, he got a position of authority. And when you have a position of authority and you have a position of power, then it kind of inflates your sense of self a little bit more and what you can exert on somebody right. and the limits that you can push. So I tend to agree with you. From my understanding, Epstein met the financier, what was his name, Goldberg or from that 
Yeah, from Bear Stearns. I guess his kids were going to the Dalton School. So he met Epstein through the Dalton School. And once Epstein was let go for poor performance as a teacher with no credentials, he moved into financing. I think they overlapped a little bit. I think he was oh. at Dalton at the same time as Bear Stearns because he lied completely on his resume or right. CV at Bear Stearns. And then when they found out, they asked him, he said, I knew I lied, but I was afraid the Dalton School would find out. And then if the Dalton School found out, they would let me go. Got it. I'm not sure the amount of time of the overlap, but there was overlap between him being there. Okay. Well, eventually he left completely the Dalton School and went into pure finance. He obviously did well. Also, the CEO of the Limited and those stores. Oh, right. Episode, he backed him. And then it turns uh, out that Epstein stole, he said, stole a lot of money from him. Aha. Uh -huh. so okay. I didn't know that. Thing. Okay. So, so he's he a very said, versatile criminal. Yeah. He's also, <laughs> he was also very slick. Right. Very personable. Yeah. Preyed off of just like a typical uh, narcissist. Mm -hmm. He mirrored what people wanted to see. Right. And gained his access into their circles that way. Right. But don't ever betray him. And especially once he got as much wealth as he did, it seemed that then his social pool just expanded to include all these powerful people, which we know are politics, royalty, celebrities, etc. So he had probably a Rolodex that many never do. And he had countless means of showing his wealth and showing his power. So from my understanding, he met Ghislaine, I think her dad had possibly introduced them in the late 80s. Right. And Ghislaine, from what we know about her, her dad was like a media proprietor and did very well, but he was also very similar to Epstein in that he was stealing from other people. He stole like, what was it? 440 million pounds in pension funds were missing yeah. from Mirror Group newspapers. Yeah. So so he seemed, it almost seems like her dad is very similar to Epstein and that he was rich, he was powerful, and he was a versatile criminal in right. disguise because of that power and that wealth. So what we know about Ghislaine is that she was the youngest of nine and one of her brothers died shortly after she was born from a car accident. But being the youngest of nine with a very wealthy, social, powerful father and a school aide and homemaker mother, I can imagine that birth order must have been difficult for her. I was just looking at something that was talking about how um, she delivered an envelope on her father's behalf on November 5th, 1990, that was part of a plot initiated by her father to steal $200 million from Berlitz shareholders. Yeah, that's what I remember, $200 million. So yeah, yeah, he's just like Epstein. Yeah, and she was the person that carried out her father's bidding a lot. Right, right. and as so as the youngest of nine, she had to compete for attention. If what we know about birth order, that's a lot of siblings to have to try to feel like you have to compete with to get appropriate attention from your parents. And it seems that whatever she did worked because there's a lot of reports that her father called her his favorite. And he named his yacht after her. Oh, right, Lady Ghislaine, yeah. 
and he had her running business, whether knowingly or not, a part of his criminal behaviors. I mean, actually, it's not surprising that once she met Epstein, shortly after her dad was found dead, he was floating next to her raft, or her yacht, rather. Um, Water raft. <laughs> yeah, not even close. It had a gym, it had a sauna. It was a floating luxury, oh, yeah. <laughs> luxury mansion in the Canary Islands. I mean, this was like in 1991, and they ruled it an accident, but she believed that he was murdered, and it was because he was stealing millions and millions from people. But then right after he passes, she's now suddenly tied with Epstein very closely. Right. It doesn't surprise me now that we see how her father was and how Epstein was. Well, she had went from having all of this with her dad to now dad's gone and I have nothing to, ooh, this guy's got a lot. Right, exactly. Yeah, I think her family was being forced to pay back what was stolen, right? Yes. So she lost her wealth, but yet Epstein comes in with billions and offers her a luxurious life, probably surpassing the one she already knew. Jet setting, a lot of famous people, a lot of right. politicians. And yes, there were other girls, but she was the favorite. She was his right hand. She was also given power right, as well. Right. So not only does she have this man who is just everything, but he's giving her everything as well. And he's making sure she knows that she is his number one. Right. You're my number one girl. Yes, there's other girls, but everyone in our inner circle knows that you're my main woman. You're the lady of the house, I think was a quote that one of his assistants said that he called her and that she was the aggressive assistant. So she was his right-hand woman <laughs> and she was never in doubt of that position. And so it kind of puts her in the same relationship dynamic that she had with her dad. Yeah. So she went, she lost that and she regained it in this way. Obviously Epstein was having her do some criminal things and she did them. And we know that that's her, she was doing criminal things for her father, whether knowingly or not, but with Epstein, she knew it. What do you think that's about? Well, if you grow up in this lifestyle and all of these things are normal, typical every day in your lifestyle, and your dad's having you fly off to deliver stuff and you're going here and you're going there and now you have Epstein that's having you do the same things. It's like, okay, well, this is normal because even in what you or I would perceive as not normal in the jet-setting life of billionaires, mm -hmm. I'm sure there's things that you and I have never seen happen before. Absolutely. And to them, it's just a typical Right. Her dad was a socialite in his own life. He was well known. He actually knew Epstein. That's how they met. So her dad most likely had a social circle that was just as powerful as Epstein's circle. I'm wondering, and I wouldn't doubt that Ghislaine probably saw a lot of these behaviors from a young age growing up, watched her dad engage in them, watch her dad's friends engage in them. And right. To her, that was just what socialites or powerful, wealthy people would do because they could. You know, imagine you have all this money in the world, you're having parties, and if it's anything like they depict in the movies, you know, there's people passed out here and there, there's people doing drugs over there, there's just stuff going on that um, you or I, 
would be just standing there in shock and awe of doesn't right. anybody see what's going on? We'd be like, there's a law that's being broken right there. There's a law yeah. being broken right there. You would get 10 years for that, sir. Like, Doesn't that's what we would be doing. Doesn't anybody notice this? But to right. them, it's, it's- It's just a Sunday day? or a Tuesday or yeah. right. So yeah. when you're in the middle of it now, they may know that it's not right. That it's illegal. Maybe, right. Maybe not. But even still, we have so much money. Really, is anybody gonna do anything about it? Right, and also, uh, yeah, it's illegal, but nobody says no to money. Not even some right. law enforcement people that have turned the other way when these had been reported before. If you have endless amounts of resources, you can pay off or buy somebody. You can do anything you want. And we saw that with Ghislaine in that the documentary, how she would even threat the girls that they would prey on and say, well, we know where you run. We know where you live. We know where you are right now. You know, they have endless amounts of resources to use to exert power and control. When you have attorney generals, when you have FBI, when you have these massive, what you would think would be the president of justice, mm -hmm. the highest in the land suddenly going, oh, here, nothing to see. You gotta wonder, okay, what were they threatened with? Because it's not just money, it's also right. threatening with your career, your life. Elaine was telling one of the girls, we will ruin you. Right. You will never be able to escape this. You will never be safe. So you gotta wonder what did they do to these officers to this law enforcement to turn the other cheek or you're gonna be sorry right exactly yeah and that's the thing now we go into the victim pool epstein i guess when he was even working at the dalton school there were some reports of inappropriate behavior with the teens we know mm -hmm. now that he's a financier he doesn't exactly have access to teenagers like he would have if he was still working as a teacher at a school in comes Ghislaine and she's a woman and she's a powerful woman. She has access to money and she has a Rolodex of elite people that would entice anybody who has never had a taste of a luxury life. And so she starts doing his dirty work and starts identifying young girls to bring in for him. So let's talk about that. I mean, if you're a 14 year old, 15 year old girl and you're living and going to school in a not so affluent area of Florida and you have a broken home or are living in some poverty and a woman like Ghislaine reaches out to you and says, hey, do you wanna come to our mansion in Palm Beach. We know that it's affluent, because I remember one of the victims saying when I was driving over there, once I got into Palm Beach or West Palm Beach, yeah. it was like places and things I'd never seen in my life. So yeah. if you're a 14 year old girl and a socialite woman says to you, hey, do you wanna make a few hundred dollars? All you have to do is come to this giant mansion in the most affluent part of town and be a masseuse for a day no one's ever given me that much money. I can't even make that in a week. Sure, I'll go check it out. And they go, all seems okay up until they get in the room. They were just bad home. They were from the trailer park. A lot of them had addicts for parents or moms. A lot of them were already molested at some point or yeah. raped at some point. Yeah. So she preyed on the vast majority were really 
the most vulnerable right. of them all. You know, there were some that they, it's like, oh, you need money, you wanna go to art school, okay. Oh, you have a sister, okay. But then there were those that were really, really vulnerable. Right. They had already been preyed upon for years. And this was to them initially what seemed like a great opportunity to kind of escape, if right. you will, to, to get out of this horrible broken home or Neglect ran away. Yeah. And you have a woman who's talking to you and a lot of people don't think of women as predators. No, women do not feel as threatened by a woman, especially a woman like Ghislaine, who generally presents as very like proper in how she dresses and she's very elite and she's obviously wealthy. If you're a female and you've been disenfranchised or you're part of a broken home or you've already been victimized in a lot of ways and you're extremely vulnerable and a woman like Elaine pulls up in a fancy car wearing Chanel and whatever else and says, hey, you're great. Why don't you come with us? That seems like life is tough for you, but we can make it better. You're going to think, wow, someone values me. Right. It's not going to be scary. But if Jeffrey had pulled up and said, hey, you know, come on into my, I think, I think he wouldn't have been as successful. And the scary part about him is, is he's intelligent and he knew that. So he found Ghislaine. Oh, Ghislaine will easily do this for me. She was doing it for her dad. I knew her dad. I saw her doing these things. I'll get her involved. I'll make sure she knows she's my main girl. I'll keep grooming her and love bombing her how she needs it. And I'll give her everything she wants. And she'll do this for me. And she'll be more successful than I will. And so she did. And it's also possible that, hey, if we divide and conquer, I'm the one that does this, but you're the one that gets me these people. Mm -hmm. And neither one of us technically are doing anything wrong. Right. In their minds. That's how they're looking right. at it. Right. Because, yeah, you're right. Because then that pyramid scheme happens where once they've hooked a very vulnerable person, that vulnerable person is now the salesperson for them, where they go out and they find other girls for them to bring. And they get a portion of whatever they bring to them. So they're now like at least three people removed from the people they're bringing in. So to them, it's like, we're not doing anything wrong. These are the people that were brought to us. We didn't know how old they were, quote. Never they, asked. They, nev they never oh, asked. And, when, oh, and, and if we did, they told us they were 18. Yeah. And so we didn't know. So they can they continue. They were getting paid. Right. They were getting money. We sent Consensual. them to school. We gave them a life. Right. You know, and then they, we took them to our island. Right. I mean, come on. They, they got jet set the world island. with us on the private jet. Yeah. Obviously they were okay with this. This is what they're saying. Yeah. Obviously we don't, we know that's not true. And neglecting the part of, even if they weren't okay, we threatened them. Right. I would tell them you're not safe anywhere. We, you know, there was the one that the artist that they called said she moved so many times and within months she'd get a phone call that they knew where she was. Right. So that's what endless power and money can do. And initially you might think these are just a couple of people I can get away. But then you start seeing that their circle contains a lot of famous people. Right. So on the one hand, it's like, okay, there's a lot of people that I would never in my life meet any other way. So this is right. kind of interesting. 
But by that same time, those very same people can be very, very, very threatening because right. they're very powerful. And if you're like a 14-year-old, 15-year-old, 16-year-old girl, and you're questioning if this is right or not, and you see the powerful people that are hanging out at the mansion or at the private island, including past presidents and royalty, and you're thinking, if they're doing it, then this must not be wrong. This must be what it's really like. This must be normal. And for me to have a decent life, which I didn't have before, you know, I lived in a trailer or I lived on the streets or I got beat bad or whatever. You know, now I'm on this island with these people by the pool and someone's touching me inappropriately. If I say no, that's going to all be taken away from me. Right. And, and also have to go back to living nothing. Exactly. And if you're on a private island and Prince Andrew or Donald Trump or uh, Bill Clinton, whomever else was there, they start private, like they start touching you and you say, no, where are you going to go safely? You're on a private island. Where can you go? They have complete and total control over you. So by saying no, you're putting yourself at risk of a reaction from them and you're amongst all these extremely wealthy and powerful people who can do anything to you at any given moment and no one would know and you may never even be found. So it's like they groom them, they get them in and then they're stuck. And one thing that I think a lot of people have a tendency to forget, their kids. They're kids. We're looking at this with a, a grown-up mind. They're a kid. So when you're a kid, all tells you to do something. Right. Now you're 14, 15 maybe, and you may be street smart and all of that. But again, we're looking at and talking about this through grown-up mind. Say, and we know that how scary it can be. Mm -hmm. I put myself back into being 13 and having some dignitary or just whatever touching me and feeling like I can say, don't do that. Because now I'm torn being, this is a pretty cool life. I'm getting some money, but this is really gross. And how do I tell this person? Because then they're not giving me money. Right. And I've already had dignity taken away but I'm only 13 or 14. My brain is not developed enough. Right. You know, problem solving skills are not fully there. Yeah, cost benefit so, analysis is not a thing. And if you take into account what you mentioned before, if you've already been victimized by your own family, the people that you're taught to trust the most, and then you go into this luxury environment with all of these well-to-do people, and it's happening there, you start to question, is the problem me? A am I the one who's, do I feel like I'm making a big deal out of this? Cause this seems normal now. This is normal. This must be what people do to you. And there's other girls here and they don't seem to be having a problem with it. So yeah, maybe it is just me. And if I just shut my mouth figuratively, it'll all be okay. And it'll right. all be over soon enough. Right. And when you have Elaine, if you didn't have a mom, if oh, your yeah. mom wasn't there, if your mom was an addict, if your mom was in, or if your mom just wasn't a mom, she could have, right. you know, a mother and figure, she yeah. did. Some of them said that she acted like, okay, they're there. It's okay. All good. You know, Jeffrey really liked you. Right. Wow. Like 
she normalizes she nurtures this yeah and then she nurtures it when she's not being aggressive yeah. or threatening yeah now what's your take on her the claims that she actually participated in some of the molestation and sexual assaults i wonder if that was also if it was to appease him mm -hmm. or if it was to normalize it for the girls very good point because there was one time where the girl was saying they came in and they laid on the bed and she kind of laid next to me and just like it was nothing she put her hand on my breast she's kind of rubbing but like it was no big deal so was her job to make them comfortable, comfortable right. Quote unquote, right or was she getting pleasure out of this or was she also I hate to put it this way but a victim as well no i it thought of that too that mm -hmm. was his day of keeping her and her way of keeping that job. And that luxury life and feeling like the right. number one woman and getting the center of attention and having contact with all of these elites. Yeah, I wondered the same thing. I think in my clinical opinion, based on what we know, which is not a whole lot, and we don't know if everything we know is all truth, but from what we know, I think it's a combination. I think that one, she was the individual that these girls trusted. She was the one that groomed them to come into the situation to begin with so she would be a great buffer to start normalizing it's almost like chaining you know like behavior chaining where it's like yeah. we're going to start here where i'm with you and then we're going to move into a bed where i'm with you with epstein and then i'm going to move away where you're there with epstein so it's like you're chaining them into getting comfortable inoculating them so i think it's a part of it but also i would not doubt that Epstein would say to her, if you don't do this, you're gone, you know, or you're not my number one girl. Like, he probably groomed her too. My number one would do this for me. My opinion is she also enjoyed it. Mm -hmm. So she wasn't a victim in the sense that some of the other girls who were at the top of the pyramid, there was one girl that they interviewed. She said she had to bring in more people. She didn't realize happening by the time she brought in more people then she started getting molested felt really horrible and her name was being brought up as one of the perpetrators, but she didn't realize what she was doing. She was just a kid. Now, I think in Ghislaine, she knew exactly what was going on. She was a grown-up and at any time, she could have given it up, but she liked that lifestyle so much that even if she was a victim at one point initially, I think she grew to, and it's not Stockholm Syndrome, she didn't grow to like her captor. I think she liked the lifestyle. Right. The lifestyle includes this, so be it. Right, and also you gave know? her power. Because made her so powerful. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm the one that's in charge. Mm -hmm. I'm building, look at what I am maxing. These people now coming to me. So. For someone, for example, the prince now is coming to me. Right. And I'm hooking all of this stuff up. Right. So I'm the I mastermind. Mm -hmm. yeah. I'm, I'm indispensable. So I'm a, yeah. Yeah. I'm a second fiddle to someone. I, in my own, powerful. Yeah. Absolutely. So, you know, she may have been unknowingly kind of victimized, but then I think it turned into, well, this is kind of cool because now I'm number one. I think if the the only way I could I would ever refer to her being victimized in any capacity is that the brainwashing 
that Epstein probably did to get her to buy into doing this and to feel the power she had. I think he was putting her on that pedestal to give her that sense of inflated self and that power. And if anything, she bought into it and, you know, identified with it. But by no means is she a victim. She is, a, no. you know, like, so I want to make it clear that if anything, she was, she fell victim to his very charming, glib, versatile, and deceitful ways. But that's it. Right. Yeah. She, yeah. No, especially since she has a trial coming up. There, it's, that's going to be interesting. Yeah. If it gets to a trial, right. That will be very interesting. Right. I think anybody who's been following Epstein is kind of being to see what more is going to be uncovered. Right. There's still probably a plot that has never been. I mean, discussed. they're keeping her very much under wraps because we don't even see a mugshot of her. No. Like, there's nothing publicized about her whatsoever right now, aside from certain things that have come out here and there. But that's it, which is very strange. I don't know what that's about. There's a lot of conspiracy theories. I think the biggest conspiracy theory people are still stuck on is whether or not Epstein had killed himself. I heard that people are saying now, one of the conspiracies is that she's going to suddenly disappear as well. Oh, and then and they're, they're going to be living together. On <laughs> yeah. Oh boy. I think if something happens to her before her trial, that's just going to be too... Uh, suspicious. suspicious. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if she's in prison after a trial, after conviction, if she's in prison, something doesn't happen to her there. Right. That not surprise me in the No, least. exactly. That wouldn't be suspicious. And we know that firsthand because we've worked in prison. And so we've seen uh, sexual yeah. offenders <laughs> are very, very much targeted in prisons, especially if your victims are children. So yeah, I would not be surprised if she was sentenced and something happened after the trial. Yeah. Long after the trial, right. I wouldn't be surprised. Right, they but might take some time. Now, yeah. yeah, there's a politics that go into that. But do you think that Epstein killed himself? I 100% believe he killed himself, but I believe he killed because he was going to be killed if he didn't kill himself. But I believe because he's a narcissist, he took himself out first. Suspected narcissist, because we can't diagnose, but suspected narcissist. Seen and heard and read. Right, right. criteria of narcissist. However, I have never met with him, thank goodness. Um, I think he's more sociopathic. A, a oh, sociopaths and narcissists right. go hand They're hand. like, yeah, I know. Narcissistic traits. Find a sociopath that's not a narcissist. I know. <laughs> well, I mean, sociopath. the two of us, we've, we've worked in prison and we've had to do crisis calls and you've worked in the crisis bed and we've had to deal with people like Epstein who have safety concerns and who allege that they're suicidal because they want to be brought out of the situation they're in into someplace safe. But Epstein was already in a maximum security area where he didn't really have access, though he did have a sully. Not a lot of people had access to him. And the week before his death, he was in the crisis bed and he said that his sully had tried to kill him and he had marks around his neck. And so they discharged him because they were like, "This, you're not suicidal. This was a sully attack. And so they discharged him and he was sold with someone different when they discharged him. No, I don't think so. Or me, I think else with him. There was no ground when he killed himself. 
or I think his Sully was like left that day. Yeah, you're right. I think there was there was a point where he did become single, but not intentionally because we wouldn't, you know, we wouldn't single sell somebody who is discharged from suicide watch or on suicide watch unless they had somebody 24 seven on them and they would be discharged with safety gear, like a safety smock, safety mattress, that sort of thing. But in Epstein's cell, he had like, did you see the amount of sheets he was given? He wouldn't put someone, allegedly they wouldn't put one single cell that was suicidal because that is very contraindicated. If somebody is suicidal, you want them in with someone else. Right, someone needs to be able and to call was, for help. And so if he was still suicidal and he was allegedly, his celly moved or went home or whatever, so he was inadvertently suicidal, you might say, that's not something that's ever happened. Right. On purpose or inadvertently. We would have a lot of that where people wanted to be single cell and we would say, you're suicidal. It can't it's happen. Sorry. Suicidal. Sorry. That's all. That ship has sailed, you my friend. That is no. never going to happen for you. Yeah. No, absolutely. So the fact that he wasn't supposed to be single celled, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. You know, and even when we release someone off of crisis, they're on a five day step down. Right. Where, you know, so visit them for five days. We have to check on them. Yeah. Every five days, every day for five days. is coming for five days. Custody is coming every 15 minutes. Half hour. Yeah, 15 minutes to half hour. Well, mm -hmm. if they're on suicide watch, it's every 15 minutes. If they're on, they're on five days, step down, well, it is. Right. But he hour. was in like a, an equivalent to an ad sec. So it's every 15, I think, right? So half hour. Oh, well, for us, but for some reason, I thought for them it was 15. But if he was suicidal, then they have someone sitting in front. They're supposed to have somebody sitting in front of the cell. Right. Like you said, 24-7. Right. I... And the two officers that were supposed to be there were sleeping somewhere. Right. And you and I both know that is not unusual either. No, I was going to say, <laughs> we know that that's happened, depending on the The two. shift, yeah, exactly. From the hours of 6 to 10, there's usually a lot of officers around. Mm -hmm. There's uh, chow time. There's, six, there's way less movement, way mm -hmm. less officers. But yeah, during the hours of 2 to 10, programs are going on all the time. There's people all the time. So he, he killed himself like after 10 o'clock, wasn't it? Yeah, I think it was somewhere like 11 p.m. The thing about this that was very alarming to me that makes me question it is that one, the amount of sheets he was given and if he was just discharged from suicide watch, that alone is alarming. But two, we never ever give more than what they're supposed to get. And, and if something gets spoiled and ruined, it takes a while for them to get a new set of sheets. So the fact that he had 10 sets of sheets in there was alarming. The fact that the video was deleted and the officers were, quote, sleeping during that time, all of that aligns to be too perfect of a storm. The officers that they had were the officers that were typically there. They came from a different area as well. That's another so, thing that's bizarre. And we do know that people are uh, redirect their posts and stuff, but both officers, ironically, regulars are not there. Only fall asleep. It just that it's a perfect storm because even if he came out of the crisis bed and they said you are not suicidal, they're still not going to give that many blankets. They're no. still going to put 
them on a five-day step down. They, we That's have- California. I don't know about New York, but I would assume that New York has similar precautions in place when someone's discharged. And if they don't, and he was, this is just something that happens with every inmate that is given the ability, then they really think they're suicide precautions. Right. They really need to have a receiver, somebody come in there and shape it up because right. it was all wrong. Right. It wrong, was a mess. Wrong. Big mess. So, Big host of errors. And I'm using air quotes because these were perfectly timed errors. Right. You know, it was just a perfect storm and it's too much and it was to right be. Right after you came back. Right. Someone that high profile shouldn't be held in a place where you have relief officers that might fall asleep. That, right. you know, you need to have in that had high profile guys. Right. And there's a reason why he had a video or a camera on him too, because we don't have that. We don't have cameras in our state prison. Not all of them. Some of them do, I guess they're piloting it. But in the one that we worked at, there's no cameras. We don't have that. We have to actually have a person sitting directly in front of the cell watching that person. And in our ad set, custody has to do checks every 15 to 30 minutes and they're usually walking around anyway because they have a lot of other job duties even when all of the guys are locked in for the night so the fact that the regulars were missing that he had all of those sheets I don't care how much he paid somebody that can't go unnoticed and the video that was on him being a high profile inmate goes missing it's just <laughs> No, there was and a I hand in this. And I don't think that someone killed him only because you'd have to get into the cell and do all that and get out of the cell. So there would have to be somebody that had knowledge of who went into that cell. And people talk. Mm -hmm. People eventually, a lot of cold cases, a lot of murders are found out because people talk. Tell a friend because they can't keep it in. And then in, in any kind of passing, they'll be like, well, I know the guy that was in there with Jeffrey Epps, he died. Or you next know, to him. Happens. Yeah. Yeah, it's going to come out. People aren't, so unless somebody got killed right after that to keep that secret, but you would have to have somebody that goes into the cell. Right. But it could have been the officers who is a non-regular, and it's not unlikely that an inmate will see an officer for the first time that they've not seen before. Because like you said, you'll get people that get moved around quite frequently and they're working in a location or a spot that they've not worked at in the prison yet or they're newer so it's not unheard of what? that a new officer shows up that the inmates don't know about right but if you're in a cell where you're there wouldn't you be like well I saw an officer go in that day because you want the notoriety you now want people to interview you well especially the, in, the inmate was given a cushy deal out of it you know you know how but inmates can be. yeah but and that's what I'm saying maybe yeah. sometime down the line they will or someone will when they feel safer but again yeah. power back that clouds Epstein and all of the people he's tied to if you did see something would you really want to say something, especially if you're incarcerated and you have absolutely no control over your health and wellness in there? Would you really want to put yourself at risk when you're at the mercy of people? It depends on if I had a life sentence, if I had any chance of going home, what I was in there for and what was going on. Because I think about, okay, well, you know, I saw that off the tape that stuff. It's like, okay, and you're telling me this why? You know, so that I can do something about it because they didn't want to stay or do anything because they thought they would get in trouble or retaliated against. Right. Telling their 
therapist, their mental health counselor, their clinician who is obligated to confidentiality in right. saying the name, you know, so that's why I think somehow if it did happen, it's gonna come out. Yeah, I agree. Because and you know, as the mental health clinicians in there, if we get allegations of misconduct or we witness misconduct, we are required to report that to somebody or a staff member had seen something suspicious that day and they eventually say something to somebody, especially if it's somebody that works there, they're obligated to share that information with internal affairs. So well, they can tell it to a chaplain. Right. And then the chaplain doesn't have to give their name. They can tell it to their mental health clinician. Right. The mental health clinician right. doesn't have to give their name. Right. Just has to follow up on the information. Right. So I think if someone did, it will come out eventually, even if it's, you know, a little bit now, but I, I think he killed himself. It would have happened if he didn't do it, but I think he did it because of the whole control. He had to have control. He wasn't going to let anyone else take his stage. He wasn't going to let anyone else bring him down. But he kind of so is doing that when he takes his life. He doesn't get to tell his story, you know? I don't well, his story kind of already been told. Not from his perspective. I mean, he actually didn't speak about it at all. I have this inclining to believe that a narcissist would not really end it that way because they don't view that they've done anything wrong. They're the almighty. Nothing they do is in the wrong. They are the victims. That's the mindset he's in. So I don't see that he would voluntarily take his life. But I do buy into the idea, like you said, that it was either he did it or someone did it for him. Right. So especially if he's already had an attempt on him, there might be this, oh, I don't know when it's going to come, so I'd rather just do it. How many have you talked to that have said, I'm not going to let them kill me. I'll kill my before they kill me. I've had a lot of guys that have, I don't necessarily want to die, but I know that if I go out there, they're going to try to kill me. So I'm going to do it myself. I mean, we've, we've definitely seen that happen with inmates in the crisis bed or not even in the crisis bed who have a hit on them. And because they can't deal with the constant high alert of when is it going to happen? They it take happens. their own life. But I've also had a lot of narcissists who will say, I know it's going to come, mm -hmm. but whoever's coming for me, I'm going to come for them too at the same time. So I'm going to get mine as they get theirs. That's usually what I hear. Mm -hmm. It'll be interesting to see what comes out of the trial with Ghislaine and what happens with her and if anybody does speak out about Epstein's death. I'm kind of looking forward to it. I know. It's big on trials, but this should be very interesting, very eye-opening. Right. And I'm really, really glad that women have been able to tell their story. Oh, I know. Me uh, too. And have found comfort in the support of the other girls. With right. The other, because that's so important. One of them went on to become a psychologist. To oh, that's fantastic. I, yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's no, so I agree. Important. I think another important thing about this is that this highlights to people just how hard it is for victims to speak out or do what you think from an outsider looking in would be the easy thing to do. Quote, I think this gives you another perspective of it's just not that easy. You know, there's too much power. There's too much danger. There's a whole lot going on that you might not consider because you've not had to be in that position. And so it kind of helps shed a light on people who are quick to victim shame. Especially when you're talking about 13, yeah. 14, I know. 15. You know, you should never victim blame, even in your 20s, 30s, 40s, but you're talking about 13, 14, 15. And people tend to lose sight because you look at them as adults and it's like, well, why didn't you do that? You got to 
talking with a kid. Right. Remember your 13 year old brain. Yeah. And you and, I, you and I both know being female, it's hard enough when somebody's doing something, a male that has a little bit of power over you, be it financial, be it a job, because there's that whole fear of, oh shoot, I'm going to lose job. I'm going to lose income. So now you go into a 13 and a 14 year old and we can't lose sight these are kids right and they were preyed on and they were forced to prey upon each other on top of that and that is a heavy heavy weight for them to carry now that they're older and they have full frontal lobe functioning and the hindsight awareness can you imagine the added guilt that they're experiencing on top of that well anyway Thank you, Dr. Larman, for joining me on this discussion. I couldn't think of a better person to chat about this with. Thank you for having me. I love it. Yeah, and time. All right. Well, thanks, Liz. Not that I love popping. I know, right, I know, but we can, this is, this is our job. So this is what we do. Well, thanks listeners. And we'll catch you next time on Advocate.